0: to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Hi, it's great to be with you. My name's Mark, and we're so privileged to have you joining us. And despite being not physically present, we really believe that in the midst of this time the spirit is doing something unique. I am not my usual self. Um, I had a bit of a fall this week uh, in my backyard of all places and uh, broke uh, some ribs. So I'm a little bit more ginger. I'm moving, I'm not more ginger, I'm moving more gingerly than I normally would. But the Word of God can still go out without my hand gestures and uh, we are in the midst of a series. And this series is called Renew and Reform, really capturing what we feel the move of God that is occurring in the world at this point in time amongst us um, is all about. First of all, renewal. This is something that God's had us pressing into for a while, this sense that God wants to breathe His Spirit to empower us, to quicken us at this time, that we can't do it, but He can. And when we recognise that, He can move in powerful, powerful ways but also not just a renewal, but a reformation, a rebuilding. Our world is this place which deconstructs so many things and so many of us actually feel like we've been knocked down and God wants to rebuild. And what I want to look at today is the renewal and the reforming that God wants to do of our inner worlds. And our inner worlds have been something which many of us have had to come into contact with during this pandemic of lockdown. The columnist Walid Ali talked about uh, in the Age newspaper a few months into the pandemic how contemporary Australian life had become this thing of distraction of so many options where we were running from one thing to another, distracted by our activities or distracted by our phones he said that he wondered if the one positive thing I can dare to imagine that we might retrieve what, by my estimate, has only relatively recently eroded is a rich inner life. And so that's been one of the ways that Australians have framed how we can deal with this pandemic, that we're people who were running around like headless chickens, but now we have slowed down, we're contemplating a sea change or a tree change. We are baking sourdough bread or walking in nature and slow down and come into connection with ourselves. And none of these things are wrong in of themselves. But I feel the Spirit saying that that's not enough. That we can make a mistake here thinking that's all there is. And at this moment, as in Australia, in Melbourne in particular, we've had a week of double zero, no cases, no deaths. And it feels in some senses like we've gotten through the worst of the pandemic. And now we can look forward to this summer that actually when we reflect, will we look back and go, well, we developed a richer inner life. I learned what it was to rest more. I read that novel I always wanted to. I'm now in contact with the local nature in the park at the end of my street. But I want to ask the question, what if there's more? And what if the Holy Spirit at this more is actually saying, don't stop at that part. There's actually more in the midst of this. And the really interesting second thing that's been happening, there's been this discovery where people have, you know, discovered this richer inner life is at the same time, yesterday I was part of a panel of a report that was released about the effects of the pandemic in Australia and there's been a profound, around 75% of Australians have said during the pandemic their spiritual life has improved, that they've taken responsibility for their own spiritual life, that people are volunteering more. The strange thing that at the moment when church is not able to do what it normally has done, the opposite of what many thought would happen is that Australian Christians have spiritually grown in this time. And so I believe there's these two paths that we're looking at here. One, are we just going to become more richer in a life people or is there something that the Holy Spirit is pressing into which doesn't end with the pandemic that is a rich vein that we have to keep following? I want to read to you from the letter, the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians uh, in chapter 2, verse 1. He says this, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. He does not bring a message which is based on the latest thoughts, which is communicated in this really enticing, entertaining way. As I proclaim to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in weakness, with great fear and trembling, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. And to apply this to our situation, I feel that the future of the church, the renewal that he's bringing, the reforming is not going to rest on a bunch of Christians who are a bit more centered now, who have just slowed down now are more in touch with nature now, who are doing more focal activities. Not that those things are wrong, but there's something bigger that God is doing at this time in reforming our inner worlds. Continuing verse six, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Now we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time begun. What he's saying here is there's this set of human wisdom, ways to improve your human world. He's talking here about Greek philosophy, the thought of the day, where they wanted to develop and become these grounded, rounded, artistic people with rich inner lives who truly understand the world. And what Paul is saying in this environment, I'm not going to play that game. I'm not going to come and give you a better version of that, how to live the good Greek life 2.0. I'm coming with something profoundly different that's actually operating on a totally different bandwidth than that stuff, the best of human worldly wisdom. So there's a danger. You're going to see me and you're going to hear what I'm saying and it's not even going to register because what I'm communicating to you is actually God's wisdom. And it's on a different frequency to earthly wisdom. I'm going to jump down to verse 10. The Spirit, sorry, verse, uh, verse 10. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. This revelation of God's wisdom is not revealed to our minds per se, as much as it's revealed to our spirits. And we've been talking about this throughout this series. The fact that humans are divided into body, which is fairly obvious, our souls, which is our minds, our wills, our feelings, our thoughts, our desires. This wisdom is not coming in at that point. It's coming in at the third part of Scripture describing the human being, our spirits. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. What is Paul saying here? One of the ways to understand this is Paul is saying that there are spiritual truths here which can only be understood when our spirit is communing with God's Spirit. But... We have become so deadened to our spirit. The contemporary world does nothing to help us understand our spirit. The contemporary world is filled with things that you can use your body on. There's a whole movement in our world to improve your body. There's a whole thing of what foods to put into your body, how to build your body up, how to become fitter. Again, I'm not saying anything's wrong with that stuff. Then there's this other world of how to become a more, you know, around the soul, how to become a more informed person, a more peaceful person, a more knowledgeable person, more information, more tactics, more tricks on how to improve yourself. Again, not all wrong. But what the world does not give us is an understanding had to develop the inner world of our spirit. And so many people go wrong because what they're doing is mistaking the soul for the spirit when we're looking at the reforming of our inner lives. Now, this can go badly in the Christian world. And sadly, many Christian, Christians misunderstand this. Now, one of the ways that Christians have uh, used to explain the division of humans into body, soul and spirit is to compare this to the way that the temple in the Bible was divided into three areas. There was the outer court, which is the first part of the temple that you went into. And that's like the body. The body is our interface with the outer world. Then there was this inner court, this holy place. That's like our soul. And in that place, there were sacrifices done, there was was religious ceremonies, there was worship, there was prayer. That was this inner space hidden to the rest of the city of Jerusalem. And that's like our soul. Our soul is hidden. It's on the inside. But then there was this other place, the holiest of holies, inaccessible except for once a year, when the high priest on the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, would enter, go past the curtain and offer this particular sacrifice for the sins of the people and sprinkle the Ark of the Covenant with the blood of a sacrificed animal as a way of making things right with God and the sins of the people. And if you want to bring this analogy to contemporary Christianity, we can do it in this way. There is the outer court, which in many ways is like a cultural Christianity. That's the people who just turn up to the outer court. It's the closest thing to the world. Maybe that's just being in church. That's the habitual Christians who turn up to stuff. They come every now and then, uh, or they may be regularly at, at things, but their inner world is not reflected biblically. Then there's the next part, that inner court And what you have there is this whole world where you can have people who can be doing religious things, can have religious intent. But what's happening is, what is going on there is people are trying to improve their soul life, but what they're really doing is just improving their self-life with a Christian veneer. Unbeknownst, where we put a Christian veneer over things and we try and improve ourselves and we're still doing in our own strength. And many people fall away from faith, become discouraged about faith, doubt faith, because they think that is it. But there's something more beyond the curtain. Now, the book of Hebrews says this. Hebrews 10, 19, verse 20 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the Most High Place by the blood of Jesus, a new living way opened up for us through the curtain that is His body. What Scripture says is that curtain which stopped us entering into the holy place. On the cross, Jesus died, and in a sense, He opened that up to us. In the Scriptures, that the curtain was ripped from the top to the bottom. And so we have a new possibility of stepping into a deeper, more flourishing life with God than so many of us actually realize is actually before us. On the 23rd of August, something really strange in the year 2016 happened in the Taiwanese city of Taipei. It was a seemingly ordinary day. And all of a sudden, a downtown street was overrun with thousands of people who appeared out of nowhere, formed a dangerous mob to the point where the police were called and there was serious concern that people would be terribly injured. This was mysterious to anyone seeing it. Passers-by filmed this situation. And what was going on was this was a mob of people who had suddenly appeared because a Pokemon Go character had appeared on a screen on their phones in this Taiwanese street leading thousands of people to descend on this normal part of reality and enter into this game. Similar thing happened in New York. There was another New York Pokemon Go riot. There was one in Sydney in an ordinary park where thousands of people in a suburban park descended upon and local residents were completely shocked. It made no sense that all of these people were appearing. And you can go online and see these videos of when Pokemon Go became the biggest thing in the world for a few months there, of just these different sites around the world where so many people appeared and they were viewing reality through, not their eyes, but they were viewing reality through this augmented reality, as it's called, of this screen, which was showing them a different reader of what was actually happening in the world. I first noticed this when dropping my kids off at school We walk across the oval normally when it's not wet, but we avoid the oval when it's wet because your shoes get completely soaked. And it was a cold morning, a frosty morning. The oval was wet, and I saw the strange sight of a mum who had dropped off her kids, and she was by herself, a grown woman in the middle of the oval, walking around with her phone, And I'm like, what on earth is she doing? And my kids informed me she's playing Pokemon Go. And in some ways, I think there's an analogy here to the soul. The soul offers us this augmented reality version of what the world is like, but it misses a vital component. You're looking at the world not through spiritual eyes. You're looking at the world through this, where the project of the world is to develop the self. And we can put noble wrappings and trappings around this. See, this is the development of a rich inner life. But if that's an end in of itself, we're dealing in a fantasy. A new way has been opened up to us through Christ, who has torn the curtain down. And so I believe at this time, there's some helpful things that we've learned. Yes. Is it better to slow down? Yes. Is it better to be in touch with nature? Yes. Is it better to realize that we may have missed some of the social components of life? Yes. But in the midst of this pandemic, the weakness that we've experienced opens up the possibility for us to realize that we can enter into something deeper with God in our inner lives. That flesh, which the soul is so often focused on and can take religious practices and religious activities and still do them, but with the end of satisfying the flesh in us, that the flesh cannot pass into The holiest place. Jesus, death on the cross, as that passage in Hebrews says, opens up the holy place to us. We can now approach the presence of God with confidence. It is completely open and inclusive. Anyone can enter who bows their knee at Jesus and calls him Lord, but it's exclusive in what can't pass, what can't pass past that, that line is there's no longer a curtain, but there is now the cross. And Jesus said in Luke 9 verse 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So in a sense, we have two crucifixions here. We have the crucifixion spoken of in Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 20, where it says, Jesus died on the cross. You as humans, your spirit was deadened and could not communicate with God's spirit because of sin, but because of Jesus' death on the cross, humans' relationship with God has been reconciled. You have been adopted as his sons and daughters. You can again approach the holy place with Jesus with confidence that he loves you and accepts you, and you've been washed clean of your sins. So that's this crucifixion of us being justified, made right with God. But then also we're invited to take the cross into our daily lives as we're made holy. What traditionally has been called sanctification, being made more like Jesus. And we're called here, Jesus' advice, to take up our cross daily and to deny ourselves. And so what so many of us have actually thought is the Christian life is really the soul life or the self life with a Christian veneer. And what we're being invited into is actually God's life. But to pass from the inner courts to the holiest of holies, we have to take up the cross and what that means is so many of the things that make up our inner life our feelings our thoughts our opinions our wants our desires must actually be put at the foot of the cross and laid down not my will but yours christianity is not about having a rich inner life it's about following a saviour who gives you life, where your wants and desires are shaped by his wants and desires, where you no longer have a life, but you have life in him. And you think about what is behind that curtain. What is behind that curtain in the holiest of holies? There wasn't a whole lot in there, but what was in there was the Ark of the Covenant the footstep the footstool of god that that place was actually seen as the overlap between heaven and earth where the high priest would come in and commune with god and be with him here so in that box that box which was sprinkled with the blood contained the ark and that is the meeting point where humans could interact with god what remained there was power and presence. What is in the holiest of holies is God's power and God's presence. And we have too much Christianity today, which is still in the inner court, hasn't gone into the holiest of holies, which is not marked by power and not marked by presence. So what Paul is saying as he's coming to the Corinthians is really key. So I want to read on in chapter uh Three, verse one, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but people who are still worldly. Me infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for there's still jealousy and quarreling among you. Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? What he's saying is these people are Christians. These people are believers. These people are following Jesus, but they're actually more set by the soulish agenda of the world of just reforming their inner worlds and doing a renovation of their inner worlds from human wisdom, from human concepts of flourishing. And he can only give them spiritual milk. They're not ready for the the, the deep stuff, the spiritual meat that comes with the Christianity of power, power, and presence. So Paul's answer here is, I'm not going to give you more of what you've already got. I'm not going to give you more wisdom. I'm not going to give you more eloquence. That's just going to puff up your soul. That's just going to puff up your self-esteem. And that's not the root of the issue. What needs to happen for this church in Corinth to be the people of God alive is you need an encounter with the power of God. As he says in uh, verse four of chapter two, uh, verse five of chapter two, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. There's a bunch of believers, I believe, at this point in time, whose faith is resting on human wisdom and a Christian veneer of what a flourishing human life looks like, maybe even a rich inner life. And because we've made some move from rushing around or being super, you know, just obsessed with the outer world and then we go into this inner world and we look at our personalities and we try and understand ourselves. But there's another room, a room of power and presence. Three things that are really key to understanding this shift, this shift from an inner world which is based on our senses, what we want in the soul, to when our spirit communes with God's spirit in that holiest of holies. What's behind the curtain? Presence and power. Number one, have you ever had a sense that you know God is speaking that is completely at odds with everything that you're feeling? The intuition that only comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, you may have never had this experience, but the more that you are obedient to God, the more that you take up your cross daily, the more that you put any feelings, any of your interior world, you put that before Jesus and say, give it, I give it to you. I put it on the altar. What you will experience is moments is Spirit's intuition speaks to you clearly. I had one really strange experience of this. At the end of last year, I was standing on my back porch just before I went to bed, and I was thinking ahead of the speaking engagements that I had in Europe in 2020. And I was thinking about them, I was excited, I was planning, I was thinking different things, people I would catch up with, and I had this sense of excitement. And then this intuition came in my spirit, which I could not understand for the life of me. And the intuition was, Mark, You're not going and you're going to be here in Blackburn South. I could not make head or tail of this. I now have made head or tail of this, that the spirit was going ahead and preparing me that 2020 was going to be a place where I was planted locally and would not be travelling. There's been other times where I've been in a conversation with someone making a decision about my life Thinking about something, you're talking to someone, and you walk away and you get in the car or you get off the phone, and the spirit's like, it's not right. You may meet someone who's charming and flattering, and you feel amazing being in their presence, and they tell you everything that you want to hear. And then you move away from them, and a day, two days later, there's this little voice. The still, small voice. And it's like, no, they've got an agenda. They haven't got your best interest at heart. Elijah ran from Jezebel. The enemies of God were after him. He had just been part of this incredible power encounter. But then he's taught to listen to the still small voice of God, which doesn't come in the wind, doesn't come in the earthquake. And when you move into that holy place, your inner world goes from a world of external stimulation to make our inner world feel better different things we can do that are always external, something someone says to you, that walk in the park, that that activity that you do. Again, these things are not wrong of themselves, but when the carriages are driving the, tra- the engine, not when the engine's driving the carriages, everything's out of whack. And so when we step into the holiest of holies, that place where our spirit communes with God's spirit, God's spirit inside of you, communing with your spirit, will speak to you in ways which are detached from what you're feeling. And disciples develop that. They nurture that. They begin to understand that. Where their first stop is then when anything's happening is, I need to stop. Father, what are you saying? What am I sensing in my spirit? Not what's coming from my thought life, what other people have said, what my desires are, but what does the mind of God want for my life? So behind the, the, the curtain, power and presence, first thing, intuition of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And if, you don't, if you've not had that before, if you've maybe had it once or twice, maybe it's a little bit there, that's a sense from the spiritual that we need to develop that is so needed in the world at the moment of so much external stimulation. The second thing, the priest would go and speak with God in the holiest of holies. That was the rawest place, the overlap between heaven and earth of God communing with man. And the mercy seat, the cover of the ark was sprinkled with that blood. And we, now that that is open to us through Jesus' death as the ultimate sacrifice, we can move into that space and find that our home is not the world. Our home is where heaven and earth overlaps and we get to worship and be in God's presence with no agenda, realising he wants nothing more to enjoy than just to enjoy our presence with him and us enjoy his, uh, our, his presence with us. That is that intimate place where you're not defined by what is happening in the external world. You're not even defined by the scripts of your inner life. You're defined and your identity comes from spending time with God who shows you who you really are and what you really mean to him. Second thing, communion. The third thing, conscience. 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 In the ark was the tablets, the Ten Commandments. The Word of God existed in the ark. Behind the curtain is Word in the ark and God's Spirit, Word and Spirit. And when we move into the holiest of holies, which we have access to, which you don't have to go to a building to do. When you develop an inner life, which is not just about your soulish inner life, but your spirit dwelling with God in your inner life, it's there that God's law, his sense of righteousness and justice begins to define you. And again, this is a different kind of inner voice to the intuition, which may be directional. This is often a warning. This is that moment where you're doing something and you've just got that little voice. Everyone's having the joke about that thing. People are doing this. You're feeling compelled to do that. There's a relationship you shouldn't be entering in. There's something you shouldn't be taking. There's something going on externally. And all of the indicators in your body and soul may be saying green, but there's still a small voice where your spirit communes with God's spirit. It's a stop sign. And what God is doing there is protecting you and guiding you and showing you the, the, the small path that leads to flourishing. Now, this is just one sermon, but this is a life's work. This is a life's work that is before us. As we, as Christians who are maturing, move from just the taking of milk to actually the spiritual meat, I believe the reformation that God wants to do at this time is not just more soulish Christianity, which is about offering a Christian veneer over a sort of contemporary flourishing inner life, 21st century Melbourne lifestyle. Again, I'm not saying that stuff's bad. I'm not saying it's bad to walk in the park, cook sourdough bread, sit and enjoy your friends in a picnic, to sit and contemplate, to read a great novel. None of that stuff's bad. I enjoy those things myself, but that is not the end. There is something greater and the invitation now is for saints to cross the threshold because Jesus has opened that place up for us to deny our flesh, to bow at the foot of the cross, put everything on the altar before him and to enter into the place to become people who are defined by his power and presence. Paul realised in the first century, that's the only kind of ministry which cuts through. And at this moment going forward, it's the only kind of ministry that cuts through and has ever cut through. And the post-pandemic church, who knows what on earth we look like and how we arrange the seats. But what it looks like, what it has to look like, is a church filled with disciples whose inner lives are marked by power and presence. Let me pray now. God. I just pray for your word now to divide soul and spirit in us. So many of us have had that, sense that. We are filled with feelings and thoughts, an inner world which sometimes seems like it's in rebellion against us. And Father, we have tried to think our way closer to you. We've tried to feel our way closer to you. We've tried to desire you more, but we've been doing this all in our own strength. And so, Father, we give up trying to do this in our own strength. We give up trying to have the soul first and instead, Father, we now thank you for what you've done on the cross, that our spirit can now again commune with your spirit, that we're being made new. Father. I pray that we now move behind that curtain which has been torn from top to bottom, which is open, which now allows us to enter into that place of confidence, to partake in your power and your presence. May what you birth in your church be a people of power and presence. Reform this, renew this in us, we pray in your name. Amen.